0: It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors, Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and
1: Josh Gregory. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies.
2: Welcome to another episode of the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. I'm your host. I'm also one of the certified financial planners on the program. Here with me in the KFG studios, my business partners and fellow CFPs, Kevin Corhorn
0: and Josh Gregory. At what age should you begin discussing your financial situation with your family? And at what age would they still be considered too young? And you obviously don't want to wait until it's too late. So what is the happy medium? We're going to hit that and much more. In this episode. And, and and there's policies in place now, laws
2: that have changed that now make this more important, even more crucial, to be to have healthy discussions about, about money. We're going to get into all of that. If you have a question for the program, we can help in any way. Reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online, wisemoneyshow.com. You can also call or text us, 574 222 2000 That's 574 574-222-2000. And then all over social media, wherever you're at, we are there as well. Just follow us there and stay up to date on all Wise Money content. So, okay, we're starting a a two-part series about family and money. This is part one. We're talking today about for your adult children and when is the right time to start talking about your personal financial situation with your adult kids When's it too early? When's it too late? How much detail do you share? Why is this even important? That's what we're hitting today. But then next week, we're going to talk about, well, what about for your youngsters? What about for the, the kiddos while they're learning? How much do you talk about finances with them? And, well, do you share anything about what you make and, and how much money? Or is it just principles and habits? How do you do that? So two-part series on talking about money. And I guess I would start, before we get into the details, guys, I mean, I guess how would you rate, just your personal opinion, how would you rate, how would you scale or rate families' abilities or willingness to talk about money? Is it, would you give it a good grade? Would you give it a poor grade?
1: Would you give it a C? Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like a C or a C- minus in my observation, because there's just not that many examples of families that come to mind who are really getting it right. It seems like it's too little shared and too late when it comes. And and often, I think you can trace some of the, the family difficulties or conflicts that can pop up, especially in a grieving situation, back to just not enough information, not enough disclosure, not enough practice at talking about these types of things. And uh, it, it's usually in some sort of a crisis that that weakness or, or that lack of, of built up habit or skill is revealed.
0: Yeah. It, this is a, this is very interesting because I think even the families that do it well would probably give themselves a bad grade. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But when you, and I've taught classes before and, and you know, you asked the question, so how did you learn about finances and who taught you? Um, most, for most folks it's not their parents. And it is, um, and I'm a parent myself, so I'm going to come to the defense of the parents. It's tough to really spend a ton of time talking about money while the children are still young and in the house. Now, there are some guiding the foundational principles that they should be equipped with, but it's much easier, at least I've found, it's much easier to talk to the kids about money after they're out of the house because after they're out of the house and they're actually earning money, then it makes sense it's no longer in theory or just an idea no it's like hey i have i have real money hey, here's mm-hmm. the problem as soon as they've got real
2: money they've probably already have some thinking and they are they might already have some habits because we know our actions come from our thinking and so uh, that's that would be too con- potentially too late we're going to talk about that next week i i would also probably give it a poor grade not a grade that i'd want and i think it's it comes from um, money carries with it all sorts of negative things. It's 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 the root of evil. The scripture talks about that. Now that's oh, it's, yeah, the love of money, love yeah. of money. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, And yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so, so. Um, but there's it, it comes with it. You know, is if you start sharing some numbers with family, are you going to be judged? Are they going to critique your choices? Are you all of a sudden going to uh, open yourself up to either scrutiny or trying to be a, uh, taken advantage of, and so how much to share is really, really important. We're going to hit on that, but Kevin, you said something a while ago about the forty seventy rule when it comes to talking.
0: Yeah, actually, it's a seventy forty rule.
2: Well, so you're saying it wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> no, what, is it? what is it? Yeah,
0: well, it's it's a it's a ratio of uh, talking to listening. So, um, (laughs) no, just kidding. Uh, If you knew me, you might think that's true. Um, But no, it's it's, by the time you're 70 and by the time your youngest kid is 40, everyone should know everything about the finances. Ooh,
2: everything. I didn't remember that I remembered it more of you should at least broach the subject and be talking about
0: money. You're saying, uh, you know, full disclosure. Yeah, and and full disclosure and you say well everything everything everything. No, it everything could be the just hey this is what we're going to do. These are the concepts because I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I was just with a with a very good friend and as they are doing kind of end of life care uh for uh Mom has already died. Dad is left. They're getting dad into the proper care situation. And uh, brother and then brother's wife have both made very, very, very hurtful comments Hmm. as they were talking about it. And there's, you know, there's um, there's some family treasures, let's just. I'll just leave it at that, but there are some family treasures, and not nice brother said to nice brother, my friend's nice brother, said to my friend, hey, we just want all the treasures. And so all of a sudden, it's, there's a very difficult situation. And so had mom and dad kind of taken leadership and said, look, there's only five of these treasures in the family, and this is how we want them divided. I mean, you have two kids, five treasures. Uh, you split the middle one in half, <laughs> yeah. and you're like, nope, you you don't want to cut that painting down the middle. So how do we do it? And so it's very, very interesting as as people kind of work through these things. But the 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 hurtful things that were said can never really be unsaid. And I, and I looked at this, and I'm like, well, here's the thing. It's not the youngest. The youngest child is 66, not 40. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's very, very, very difficult to have these conversations. We've actually facilitated these conversations for families.
2: I was, mm-hmm. yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, if that sounds terribly unappealing, like I'd rather have a root canal than do that, um, then, then have it in a safe space. Uh, you know, the family meeting happens at KFG yeah. with the Certified with Financial With a facilitator, planner. right? Mm-hmm.
1: Someone who can kind of guide the discussion and make sure that everyone's being heard and that you're sticking to an agenda and the right things are being disclosed and everything. So uh, th- this is a type of a situation where, yeah, having a guide or maybe I'll, I'll even use the phrase um, mediator mm-hmm. uh, I- involved to help make sure that uh, conflict doesn't... Uh, pipe up and and actually ruin some relationships unfortunately that can happen
2: it, it almost seems like this is a crucial conversation In crucial conversations you i mean they most people avoid them because if handled poorly uh, number one odds are it feels like it's going to be easier to handle it poorly than than to get it right and that could have long lasting relational implications so it's a crucial conversation handle it appropriately. So why? What why why would we have why would we say the 70-40 rule and then what do you what do you do? How do you approach it when one of the children hasn't had a great financial reputation? So we've got that more. Coming up on the wise money show with Corehorn Financial Group.
0: This is Wise Money with Corehorn Financial Group.
2: As a parent, you've got, an, you've got adult kids, and it's time. It's time to start sharing some financial information with them so that they're not in the dark and, and potentially making a mistake as money passes through generations. But one of the kids has a sketchy financial past. They've made some sketchy financial decisions. How do you broach that? What do you do? We're hitting that difficult topic and others right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn, Josh Gregory. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is at the YouTube channel. Go check it out. Go to YouTube, search the Wise Money Show, and uh, make sure you you subscribe to it and turn on notifications as well. Okay, so the 70 rule, we're going to... I mean... By the time you're 70 or your youngest child and your youngest child is 40, you should start broaching the subject of finances so that there aren't mistakes and so that there's a smooth transition whenever that happens or when someone needs care. We'll talk more about the why. But okay, I've got two questions. And one, okay, one is you've never broached, um, you're an adult child, and your, your parents haven't led, haven't broached the topic before. How do you bring that up? <laughs> and number two, equally difficult, is you're a parent and you're looking at your children who are adults and you've got the one or you've got a child who you've looked upon and they've made some bad financial decisions. And now you're hearing from financial advisors or maybe you're feeling it in your conscience I got to start talking about. It. I got to share something so that they're not in the dark. So how do you do that?
0: And Mike, you said that you know, it, it, at age seventy for you and forty for the youngest child, you should start broaching the finances. Just clarification: you should start broaching your finances. Yeah. And how do you talk about that? Because I would, if you if you say, hey, I'm not sure how to talk to my kids about money," I I just I would start talking to them about money. Mm-hmm. I'd just say, "Hey, do you have any questions for me about money?" and see where your kids are and and what their curiosity is and, and if and if no someone, matter your age no if, matter age
2: and if someone in that in that response crosses a line and you and you're not willing to share that that's okay just say you know i'm, I'm not i'm not willing to go there yet i i, I yeah. let's how about this you know just just say nah, i, I don't Yeah.
0: i it, maybe you say hey i i'm hoping to just start a conversation so i want to answer that question but i'm not as i'm not even sure how i would answer it right now mm-hmm. so let's talk about some easier things let's get the easy ones out of the way first <laughs> But I think th- there should be an ongoing conversation about money, a healthy conversation where you can be encouraging and kind of educating. And so Mike, you asked the, the you asked a series of questions there. I'd like to, I'll take the first one. If you're the youngest child and you're 41 and your folks are in their mid-70s, you've, you've hit upon the magical 70-40 rule, now what? And I say, well, um, maybe what you might want to do, if you're the the child, is you might say to mom and dad, hey, is there anything that you want me to know about your finances? Just, just I, question. Yeah. I would ask a very, I, I, I would approach, I think I'm approaching this as the humble learner. Um, whenever I have a crucial conversation like this, I'm. I'm. Uh, I personally like to just pray about it and and seek wisdom, um, but I would then I would ask some questions that are not going to, just by the very question they're not going to seem judgmental. They're not going to uh, put paint someone into a corner. Um, they're not going to. They're not going to kind of poison the well so that I we can't ever go here again. Mm-hmm. So I would if I'm the child I would be asking a question and if i'm if i'm the parent i'd be asking the question and i and and as a parent i'd say hey listen my my heart is i i want i want any potential future financial landmines to be diffused before we ever get there yeah And, and we don't know how much time we have so let's let's get working on those now and kind of fix the roof while the sun's shining
1: I I agree completely. And, um, you also have to be prepared though for them to kind of close you off and maybe they're not ready, but just by asking that gentle question of, is there anything that you feel like you want me to know about your financial life? You have to be prepared for giving an answer for, well, why, why do you even want to know? Um, because it may not be self evident to them. It may have never even crossed their mind why you maybe need to know some, some details. And to me, the the driving factors here would be um, aging parents that may get to a point at some point where they need your help for for you to step in and help manage some of the details of their their financial life. All of us are getting closer and closer to the end for us at some point. We don't know when it's going to come, but what kind of mess is potentially left behind? Do are, are there details that I'll need to understand in order to sort things out? after you're gone. Um, and, and it may still be early. You know, there may be thinking, man, I've got 20 more years of retirement. We'll, we'll broach that subject at some point. But by you at least asking that, that very sensitive question um, in a, a fair and understanding way and recognizing that they're gonna need to answer it on their time, I, I think that's good. I would also, so, so you asked another question, well, what happens if there's family members who have not had a great track record? I think it's important when you, when you are sharing part of your financial life with family members recognize that is an act of trust right that is an act of vulnerability you're revealing information um, that could change something somewhere it could change the relationship could change their behavior and anytime that we're talking about trust my mind goes to the the formula or the mathematics of trust you have to have someone that you trust their character, you trust their competence and their consistency. And to me, character is about knowing that these family members that you're sharing details with, they have your best interest at heart. Mm. And that's not true of every individual in every single family. There are givers and there are takers sometimes. And there, there are those who maybe uh, have some selfish motives at times. And it's hard to project that out onto someone else, but just recognize maybe it's not full disclosure to every single person in the family if they're not trustworthy in that way. Or maybe they don't have the skills to be able to uh, help you manage your, your finances. So they're not the person you would lean on potentially. So the the point here is, you know, you have to have wisdom in who you're sharing this information with. And there's, in my opinion, there's nothing saying that every bit of information should be shared in equal amounts with every person. It should be based on their trustworthiness and their readiness to receive it. Uh, Here's
2: here's what I would would agree completely, Josh, and I would just add a couple other um, factoids to that or considerations. One is if if you don't have a massive estate and, and, and you don't think there's going to be a huge inheritance that someone is now going to need to steward who maybe doesn't have that character or competence or consistency of doing so, then how do you broach, how do you broach the finances? I, I think you would just tell them, hey, just in case you have any questions about things, we've, we've listed your sibling as the executor of the will. And so, you know, uh, blah, 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 and that's, that's it. But if there is going to be big inheritance and you say, well, yeah, I'm not gonna trust this person to play a role, but they're going to be receiving some, then the conversation, instead of discussing details, it should be discussing how they can receive what they're lacking in, find, in those three areas of trust. That's good. Yep. How, how can, so, you know, son or daughter, um, finances we all know haven't necessarily been uh, a strength of yours uh, what are you doing to increase your your skill set here or have you have you worked with a certified financial planner before something like that I want to pick this topic back up and then get more into the why some of the rules coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group
0: This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group
2: There's a law that came to be uh, just oh, two years ago, year year and a half ago. I don't know that uh, that is is sort of a forcing, not not forcing, but making it more important for you to talk to your adult children about your financial affairs. It's more important now to do multi generational financial planning than it's ever been. In my opinion, that's. That's the SECURE Act. Why? We're going to tell you coming up. This is The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFG studios, Kevin Cohorn and Josh Gregory. Every episode of The Wise Money Show is on podcast wherever you go and listen. Check us out. Search The Wise Money Show. When you're there, rate the program. We appreciate that. Leave any comments as well. All right. So we're talking about the delicate issue of talking about money. And it's a two-part series. Today is about talking to adult children. So by the time you're 70 and your youngest is 40, you need to be disclosing everything about your finances. So is that everything, everything? No, it's everything that they can handle. Everything that would equip them and you guys to be on the same page financially. Some, some folks or some families that have lots of skill and consistency and that's very um, I, maybe out in the open, I would disclose a lot. Others where there's lots of financial baggage or other baggage, I would disclose a little, but enough so that things don't get lost in the shuffle, okay? Next week, we're going to talk about to your youthful kids. How do you talk to them about money so that they've got, they're growing the skills and the habits early on and avoid some financial mistakes and and so on? So the SECURE Act changed the game. It changed the game with multi-generational financial planning. So why why did the Secure Act? Why is this topic of of the seventy forty rule more important and applicable today than in years past?
1: Well, you mentioned multi-generational planning. And anytime that you have beneficiaries named on some of your retirement accounts, for example, there could be tax ramifications to the people who receive the leftovers at the end of your retirement. and if if you're not going to likely spend through all the money, the, the question is, well, what's the best stuff to leave behind and how do you structure it in a way that uh, can be as tax efficient as possible? Well, that starts getting into not only your tax picture, but now the generations that follow you, their their tax picture also matters because it might not be you who ends up paying the tax on this money. It could be them potentially. And uh, one of the the great planning tools that we had available to us for our entire careers, right up until about a year and a third or fourth ago, um, was this idea of a stretch IRA, which basically is more of a concept. It's not an actual financial product or anything. The, The concept being that when you leave behind IRA money to someone other than your spouse, it used to be that they could stretch it out over their entire lifetime or at least spread it out over many, many years. And in doing so, they're allowing that tax shelter to stay intact longer. And they're only having to pay tax on bite-sized amounts that they're forced to pull out over over time. Well, then enters the SECURE Act, which says now that you have to have all those retirement dollars flushed out of the accounts within 10 years of the, the owner's death. And this changes timelines. It changes some of the strategy. It makes it more important for... Your beneficiaries to understand what might be coming their direction, so that they can be very planful in um, in kind of mapping out their game plan for this. It it but it's even it 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 puts a
2: little bit of awareness also on your shoulders. You you know all the details though. So the question is how how much of these details are you going to share with your kids? Share all of the necessary um, uh, details, but you know all of them. So now that The SECURE Act is in place and this, the the potential to stretch that account out by the the beneficiaries just taking at least a required distribution each year. um, That's gone now. There's no required
0: distribution. A recommended
2: distribution, the only requirement is the account's got to be empty in 10
0: years. Yeah, this is where you need to start playing chess instead of checkers. Because the SECURE Act basically came out and declared, uh, you've, you need to make a decision who's going to pay tax on this money. Yeah, Is it husband? When husband dies, it goes to the wife, and she, she has until her death to do whatever she wants with that money. She doesn't have, she doesn't have to take that money. Mm-hmm. But at the second death, the kids have 10 years. Well, okay, if there's a pile of money that's never been taxed, who should, who's the best person to pay those taxes on? And if there's not yet a pile of money that's never been taxed, but you're creating a pile of money, how should that pile be created? Mm-hmm. Because not all uh, savings vehicles are created equally. So there's,
2: there's there. I mean, this is centering around that, I guess, that point that Kevin just made, which account should your nest egg be in? Or, or which which accounts should your nest egg be in and so you look at should you fund pre-tax or Roth and, and which is basically who's going to pay tax and 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 when are you going to pay tax on this money putting it in a roth it'll grow tax free or um or are you going to have it in a pre-tax account where i'm not you're not paying tax on this money and then whenever you draw it out or the kids draw it out they're going to pay tax on it and so funding, pre-tax or Roth, and then whether you would do a Roth conversion. If you've said, nah, I've avoided, I've, I've pre-taxed this all the way in. And now that I'm looking at this rule, you know what? I should be the one to pay the tax. I should be in doing a Roth conversion. Sit down, work with your certified financial planner who knows taxes, who does tax planning. Most of them don't. Most, the vast majority don't. Um, and so you've got to be working with someone who is a certified financial planner and who does tax planning. They can help you with this. So um, anything else? I mean, what what about let's go back to what if what if the there's a 40 year old child who maybe is watching, maybe even more than that, watching mom and dad's finances and maybe their capacity to manage it. And you say,
1: I, just, just, uh, I, have, I
2: have some concerns that they're still able to do. A good job at this but mom and dad haven't broached the subject of finances
1: yeah you know i've I've actually been invited into some client situations where that's exactly the scenario where mom and dad's either capacity is diminishing because of health or 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 something and the the family members are watching this happen and they're becoming concerned i've even seen some families where they're watching mom or dad be taken advantage of um you know, senior fraud is a really big deal out there. Um, they, they, I don't know, there, there's a lot of people, who, again, who are takers and um, they, they zero in on these types of victims. So sometimes it's kind of an intervention to help just alleviate some of the stress or the worry of managing finances as uh, parents get deeper into retirement. I've seen some scenarios, though, where as parents are entering into retirement, it's evident to their kids that they are not financially ready. Mm. They're not in a position where they're going to make it financially. And so it's it's becoming obvious that there's a crisis coming down down the pike here and um, some family members have stepped in and offered to be able to help to manage the finances to kind of put mom and dad on a strict budget and you talk about an act of humility by these parents to be able to say you know what it's true we're not great at managing our finances we're not in a strong financial position we are very vulnerable right now if you're willing to help here you go you've got the keys yeah. right and i have watched some family members with amazing skill intervene in a situation like this and start building up resources and help turn the ship around and really put their fi- the their families or their parents financial position back on a good course and it's wonderful to see and and i'm more impressed by the parents willingness to go along with this than yeah. i am even the skill of these uh, well meaning children. And, and and once
2: again I'd turn it back to, you know, the, the, the delicacy of that, that the, the delicate nature and with not delicacy, the delicate nature of that conversation. Work with a certified financial planner, they can help be a mediator. Alright, we've got questions from fans of the show, that and more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group.
1: This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. The Wise Money Show is brought to you by the attorneys at South Bank Legal, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Homes Team, and Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies.
2: Thanks for being here. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. Here with me in the KFT studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Stay up to date on all Wise Money content. Find us online, wisemoneyshow.com, and then all over social media, wherever you're at, we are there as well. Search the Wise Money Show and follow us there. All right, we're into questions from fans of the show. I wanna thank auto owners for sponsoring this segment. We appreciate your sponsorship and your willingness to help support the Wise Money efforts. Thanks for being uh, a sponsor. All right, so first question uh, do I need to buy a renter's policy in order to cover my kids'
1: belongings
2: while they're away at college?
1: Uh, that's a good question. I mean, yeah. uh, to, to me, we get this question a lot. Uh, it Does it make sense to have a renter's policy when they're away, maybe in an apartment or a dorm or something like that? And uh, the answer is, I mean, it can depend. Uh, some policies, your own homeowner's insurance... Uh, you know the parents' homeowners insurance at home can extend some of the contents of their uh, of their property over to um, the kids' stuff that's away with them at school. So their wardrobe, their computer, the stuff they took away with them can still be covered if um, you know there was a loss while you're while they're away at school. So it's not always necessary as long as that 10% calculation. Is adequate. Um, you know, most college students aren't taking mm-hmm. you know tens of thousands of dollars worth of stuff with them off to school. But um, you know, there, there are still some advantages of maintaining a renter's policy as well. Um, and so, I I encourage people to talk through this with their insurance advisor, who's going to understand the the situation. Make sure you're disclosing to them all of the facts about where they're living and. You know what, what kind of risks they may be facing, that sort of thing. But just know that you have more than just a renter's policy as an option. Sometimes you've already got some coverage built into your home. Once you think it's easy,
2: it's not. Let, let's just dive into this. If I can just geek out for just a <laughs> second. So, so on your homeowners and policy, homeowners policy, you you've got um, two sections of coverage. You've got your, you know, the the coverage on the property, and then you've got liability. Okay. So the coverage on the property. Part A is if the house burns down or whatever, and you've got to repair the dwelling. That's your dwelling coverage. Part B is any other structure. So a detached structure, a shed, something like that. C, what we're talking about. The third third part is personal stuff. If the house burns down, then your jeans do too. Your couch burns down too. And then the the fourth is there's coverage there to fix the house up and, and... and put you in an extended stay, or cover your rent or whatever while it's being fixed up. So it's this, it's this part C that we're talking about there. That's the content coverage. Now, Josh is absolutely right in saying, talk to your insurance agent when this happens. But it lets most insurance companies do extend about ten percent of that personal uh, property, the belongings coverage, to. Um, dependent children that are away at college so most do but it also hinges on whether they are a full-time student who would have thought as you're grappling with your son or daughter about how many credits they should take <laughs> i feel like i should just take a gap year i but you okay you coming home no i'm staying here you know east lansing's much more fun than kentwood and <laughs> you know I, my <laughs> friends are here and that's therapeutic to me but all of a sudden they slip from full-time student status to oh, I'm just doing two classes. Whammo, they need a renter's policy. Uh-huh. They are no longer a full-time student. Therefore, in in this
0: way, they're not necessarily your dependent. Yeah. And I would say when you think about, oh, do I need really need to get more insurance? It, think a hundred bucks, like yeah, for so a year. You're thinking a uh, uh, hundred bucks. It it, it doesn't cover a ton there's not a ton at risk so it's not terribly expensive at all but yeah i mean that's the those are the things from your homeowners insurance again with the the caveats that mike's talking about your personal property coverage your medical payments to others your personal liability typically those three coverages are going to extend but i i would you know it it's it's amazing how quickly things happen and then the college student graduates and Now they're living in the same apartment that they were while they were in college, Mm -hmm. and they're not a student anymore. Well, the game just got changed, and then Hickory Village, uh, where, I don't know, there's always fires around here in these apartment complexes. Jefferson Park. Uh Yeah, Yeah. and every Uh time I hear about these, I'm thinking, oh my, I hope these people had renter's insurance, because all their stuff. You know, when when I was in college, there was such a thing as a sweet stereo (laughs) <laughs> uh, so like you could have a sweet stereo that might be it might have cost seven hundred dollars, yeah. Which that was a ton of money back then. Yeah. And you're like yeah yeah, you definitely want to protect that. Like forget the clothes. Like you can have my jeans and but but I mean you, but. you might be great at you know turning your curling iron off and
2: the, your straightener <laughs> and and you know I don't do candles anymore. I just do Sensi. You know it's all it's all good. But your neighbor connected to your apartment below you or right next to you. They might have tons of candles because they still have COVID nose. They can't smell anything, and so they're turning, putting all these candles on because they want to and, and could, you know, create a fire. And so your ability to mitigate and manage risk might count for something, but your neighbor's ability to be negligent could still damage your stuff. And so, okay, I'm just gonna I, full and fair disclosure. This next question's from me. I'm just gonna throw that out there. I mean, with the auto owner segment sponsored, we appreciate that. So we're talking about insurance questions. This one I always get mixed up. I really do, and it's a two-part question. My car hit a deer. No, the deer hit me. It was. <laughs> is that a comp claim or a collision claim? And then, equally as you know, as, as strange, I had a little slip on the on on an icy road, and I. You know, I hit the tree. Mm-hmm. Is that a comp or a collision? I mean, they're both colli- they You both your vehicle you collided something. with something else. Right. One was an animal, and they actually they,
1: they they tried to take you on. The other one was a was a tree. You know, I I've never understood this one either because so a comprehensive claim is basically everything other than a collision. And well, what what does that involve? Well, it, that could be hail damage. It could be you know, someone breaking into your vehicle, or in this case, if you hit a deer, that's considered hitting part of nature and it's actually not considered a collision, right? Which doesn't make a whole lot of sense because the same argument of hitting a tree, that sounds like part of nature to me as well. And yet that is a collision. So, so I I asked uh,
2: Courtney Pendergrass, one of our uh, all-star insurance team members, we've got an awesome team of insurance professionals that, that help. Our clients here. So if you if you are in need, don't hesitate to call. But Courtney said it better than I've ever heard someone say it. And um, think of like a comp claim as a you know I'm I'm not at fault. Okay. so that's not considered at fault so the deer realistically the deer came and hit you right i mean they were the one charging you they thought they'd win charging you <laughs> <laughs> so they were the deer was trying bowl. to play. so so <laughs> you you can't you can't have an at fault the deer's not going to sur- sue you and say you were at fault you hit me and i've got this you know scar in my fur forever um no that, that's not at fault but the tree you hitting the tree, technically you were at fault. Now you might want to blame the ice on the road, but you were probably going too fast or you didn't put, you know, the snow tires on or whatever. So yeah, even though you're hitting a tree, a stationary object, that's also part of nature. No, you were at fault there. You were driving a little too fast. You had to swerve, whatever. And that makes the hitting the tree a collision claim. Great job, Courtney. I mean, I don't know if that story helps you. It certainly helped me. And since I baited this question out there, I I found that that perspective very helpful so anything else you guys would add there i know kevin uh, you guys haven't had any of
0: this in the corhorn house recently <laughs> oh my have word. you word <laughs> uh the deer are all the deer all duck and cover when <laughs> mrs corhorn or the lovely grace head down the road but i mean when so you know you hit an animal or an animal hit your car or or an animal burrows into your car what? Yeah, no, shoot, baby. That, that stuff happens. I mean, I, 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 we, we just had a claim where um, the mice had gotten in. So what happens is, and my mechanic explained this to me, like the, either the wires or the, what the wires are made of, or something. What they're coated with. Yeah. It has a salty taste to it. Uh And these mice... They're just
2: trying to taste the salt, They can't
0: taste the salt. (laughs) So they're like, okay, what am I going to do to taste the salt? I'm going to go up in that car and chew up on those wires. (laughs) So so that is what's going on. Or I've actually had a woodchuck. One time I had a woodchuck. I had this Ford excursion, this big... And and I kept looking. I'd see the thing run under the car. I never see him run out. I'm like, okay, that dude is in my stinking vehicle. So I thought, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go get them. So I got a pair of vice grips and I went and I quietly I opened the hood. You can't really quietly open the hood, but I was trying to be stealth man. And, and I did. And I looked down and I see this just, I see this kind of ball of fur and the tail. And I'm like, okay. Did you pinch the tail? I, I did. I took <laughs> oh, the vice grips because I thought I would grab the tail and pull the thing out. Hey, you know what else is is a
2: good uh, in a synonym for vice grips? Woodchuck jaws. That, I bet that thing turned around and tried to put a vice
0: grip on you. No, this is no, but this is the thing you always underestimate. You always underestimate the strength of an animal. Like yeah. you, like well, what's it's the most fighting for its life? Yeah, what's the strongest animal I've ever wrestled? Probably a forty-pound pig. I mean, yeah. that that thing could put a whooping on you, and you're like, no, but no, that thing's 40 pounds. No, that's a 40 pounds of muscle. That thing was smoke That you. seems like a, a, a wise money event in the future. Pig
1: wrestling. Pig wrestling.
0: Or just woodchuck uh, <laughs> yeah. tail grabbing. So no, I grabbed the thing by the tail with the with the with the vice grips, and I didn't even I wasn't even able to lock them, and that thing was out of there. Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, he was. He wanted to live more than. I wanted.
2: <laughs> All right, so so here we go. This is this is connected. I, that question was baited because this one's connected, and we're we only have just a minute, guys. So if um so how do you know when you should turn in one of those claims? Okay, you've got a uh you, you've 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 got a fender bender. The cost to fix it up. Say you you hit the tree, you hit the deer, whatever. The cost to the cost to fix it up is about a thousand bucks. Do you turn in that claim or not?
0: No, don't let your insurance be your first dollar coverage, period. And I, not that I have experience, but I do have extensive experience with this. If your car is totaled, um, because a certain member of my family hit a deer, totaled the car. I said, look, I'd like to buy it back and for salvage value. Salvage value is about 400 bucks. I bought it for 400 bucks, had it towed to a body shop. The body shop got it back in working order wasn't perfect, but it still worked. And so it, it was multi, the, the total program was thousands of dollars.
2: Work with your certified financial planner. I mean, your CFP helps you with coverage, but also what are the right deductibles? And then therefore, which of these should you just cover out of pocket or actually turn in? So, all right, great questions. That's all the time we have for today. On behalf of Kevin Corhorn, Josh Gregory, all of us at KFG, have a great weekend. <laughs> We'll see you next Saturday for The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group.
0: Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group, KFG Wealth Management, LLC, and Silver Oak Securities, Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.